morning. We have been on a journey the past couple of weeks and really the past couple of months uh, journeying through this book in the Bible known as Ephesians. Ephesians, the, the theme of our series in the second chapter, which is where we're currently at, is we are one. We are one. We made it through the first half of Ephesians 2, which has to do with this idea that we've, we've been moved from death to life as we've had faith in Christ. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we become saved and set free to walk in Jesus, to live the lives that we're called to live. Um, but we don't just stop there. We don't just get saved and then just go to church for the rest of our lives and have no purpose other than that. But God actually saves us for a purpose. And that's what we moved into a couple weeks ago when we looked at verse 10, which reminded us that we have been saved and created and set free to live in these good works that he has designed us to live in, that God has created us. We're his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works that which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We continued this past week as we looked at verses 11 through 13 where we were reminded, and I literally mean reminded as the verses talk about remembering, for those who are Gentiles, where you came from. A Gentile is a person with a non-Jewish background. So if you're not Jewish here today, you actually have a classification in the Bible apart from Christ, and that would be a Gentile, which I did learn in the German is the name Haydn, which is interesting. So I was like, hey man, Haydn in the German. Um, so I'm learning new things at the same time. Uh, spelled the same and everything, which is kind of crazy. But we didn't, we didn't stop there. We landed at verse 13, which I wanted to show you guys to get you caught up so we can jump right ahead into our verses today. Uh, the text last week told us that for those who are Gentiles, you were separated from Christ, alienated to the people of God. You were cut off from the hope of the gospel and you were strangers in this world. Somebody say, that's bad news. Sometimes you need to hear the bad news in order to appreciate the good news, amen? Right, like you need, you need to know, like, hey, if you're ill and you realize, man, the symptoms could be death, but then somebody says, man, but we got a cure, a remedy. That remedy looks that much sweeter, doesn't it? Don't you want it? The good news is found for us in verse 13, but now, somebody say, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ has no favoritism. The, the blood of Christ knows no racism. The blood of Christ knows no segregation or bigotry. The, the blood of Christ brings people who are far from God and those who may be thinking they're near to God, brings them both together, together on the same ground and says we are one because of his blood in Christ. That's what we learned last week in verse 11 through 13, but we jump ahead now as we enter into verse 14 through 15. We'll tackle two new verses this week and continue in our We Are One series. Before we read this, come on, before you eat, what do you got to do? We've got to pray one more time. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer, and I'd ask you to join me in this time of prayer and make your prayer very intentional and very personal. I'm not praying for you right now, all right? I'm praying for myself. And I'm praying that the Lord would take his word and do what only he can do through it. The word is living. The word is active. The word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And the word can pierce through your bones directly to your heart if you let it. 
And maybe even if you don't let it, it's still do it, right? But go ahead and let's, let's get into a posture to receive. Join me in praying and just say this. Maybe your prayer is this, Lord, speak to me. I believe he'll do it. Right now, let's pray that prayer together. Father God, I come before you in Jesus' name by the power of the resurrected King. Speak to me. Speak to us today through your word. Open our hearts today, God. We don't want this to just be a random Sunday. We want this to be a game changer in our lives, Lord. Manifest your presence through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 15 says it like this. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The title of my message today is The All-Surrounding Peace. The All-Surrounding Peace. I want us to jump right into verse 14 and allow God to speak to us as we exposit this verse. Starts off with these first six words. I believe these are six of the most powerful words in the Bible. Six words that I oftentimes just brushed past. I'm grateful for the time walking slowly through these passages because this has become one of my favorite verses. Here's the six words. Go ahead and read them for me off the screen. Ready? One, two, three. For he himself is our peace. Amen? For he himself, the text says, is our peace. He, Jesus, is our, all of us, black, white, yellow, orange, green, whatever your background is, ethnicity is, job is, circumstances. He, Jesus, is our peace. Our peace. This Greek word for the word peace, irene, it's the Hebrew word, maybe you know of it as shalom. It means to have a state of tranquility or calmness. Harmony is a synonym for this word. Security, safety, prosperity, Felicity are all different words to describe what it means when he, it says, he, Jesus, is our irene, our, our peace. This idea that we have been made right with God and with one another because he is our peace. It's a good reminder to teach us that, hey, Jesus himself has come to not just make peace with himself, but make peace with one another. The thing that God did in your life in reconciling you to him, he wants to do now with one another. See, remember who, who, what we're talking about here. As, you, as we look at the rest of verse 14, let's look at the rest of verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There was once a dividing wall between Gentiles and Jews And it was a wall of hostility. This was a literal wall, as we talked about last week, as we pulled up a picture, a diagram of Herod's temple, and how there was inscriptions all around the wall that says, Gentiles, if you come near, you will die. 
right? There was a dividing wall of hostility there. Yet at the same time, there was a, a social wall of hostility as well. Tim Keller writes in his commentary on Ephesians, he says, Christ has unified the two most deeply separated categories of humanity in world history, Jews and Gentiles. That Jesus would lock in on what he describes as the, the deeply separated categories and say, I'm bringing you together as one. Isn't that something only God himself could do. He says, not only have I made you one, but I've brought peace into the relationship. Remember the, the, the synonyms for this word peace. Security, right? Tranquility, calmness, prosperity, felicity. All these different words that, that bring up this sense of peace has been brought together between the most deeply separated groups on display. R. Kent Hughes writes an awesome commentary on the book of Ephesians. And here's a couple things he says in his book. He says, the ultimate answer to vertical and horizontal alienation is not intellectual or political or social, but spiritual, amen? The answer comes when we cross the broken barrier and thus come near to God and then near to each other. Picture the wall leveled, the Thantonis inscriptions lying under the rubble and the nations, us, joyfully stepping across as Jewish and Gentile brothers and sisters. What he's saying here, and why it's, why it's important for our day and age, is because though we may not classify people as Jews and Gentiles today, we still see these tensions in culture, don't we? Right? We see this uh, heavily on display in our culture in this past year alone with a lot of the Me Too campaigns or a lot of the racial injustice that we, that we see on the news left and right. We see it in the, you can turn on the, the television or social media and the same type of things are on display. And what Paul is writing to the Ephesians in this Ephesus paganistic Greek culture that this church was being planted in Paul is saying, like, whoa, 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 you got to realize that you cannot receive the gospel and be racist at the same time. He's saying, you cannot say, I love Jesus, he is my peace, and I believe that he has saved me and set me free, I just hate my brother. It's not even possible. He has brought us both together and made us one. That's, he's, he has torn down on the cross right, the horizontal relationships and the vertical relationships and has torn down the hostility and made us one. That's why Jesus is able to say a verse like this, love one another as I have loved you. Or maybe the golden rule, right, love one another as you want to be loved. Treat somebody as you want to be treated. And we see that on display for us in this text right here. I love what it says. For he himself is our peace. He's our peace. Jesus himself is our peace. Can I give you a reality statement? I love these moments right here. I just want you to maybe type this in your phone or write this down. It's a reality statement that I want you to realize because it's very significant that you understand what we're talking about right here. Here's the statement. Peace is not a feeling or an emotion. Peace is not an attitude nor a sensation. 
peace is a person and his name is Jesus. Let me, let me go ahead and repeat that for you again. Peace is not a feeling or an emotion. Right? Peace is not an attitude or a sensation. Peace is a person and his name is Jesus. He himself is our peace. Our peace is found not in our circumstance. Our peace is found in a person. Our Savior who has brought people together and called us one. We'll have that up on our social media accounts if you want to share it or be reminded of it that peace is in fact a person. His name is Jesus and he has made us one. Uh, if, if you don't feel peace, if you're not feeling necessarily the peace of the Lord, then maybe I would, I would ask you to, to examine yourself and see maybe if you've drifted from his presence. Because an absence of peace is really an understanding that you have moved from his presence for he himself is our peace. If, if you're sensing, you know what, I'm not really sensing the peace of the Lord. Examine yourself if you've moved, because he hasn't. Right? He hasn't moved. Maybe it's kind of like when you go out there on the beach and you, you set your tent up, you got your towel and your umbrella, and you go out there on the water and you turn around and you're like, hold up, how did I get over here? Your towel didn't move. You just began to slowly drift with the waves of culture, with the waves of sin, with the waves of busyness, with the waves of lust, and we drift, and then we sense this absence of peace. And here's what I encourage you to do. It's the same thing that the, the brother of Jesus, James, told his people to do in James chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what, here's what he says. He says, draw near to God. Here's the promise, and he will draw near to you. If you draw near to him, hold on to this promise. Take God at his word. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Not he might, not potentially, but he actually will do it. He'll draw near to you and he'll give you the peace that you need because he himself is our peace. This principle of the peace of God and he himself being our peace has been huge for me in my own personal life, especially when it comes to making important decisions. All of us are faced with decisions. All of us have decisions that we need to make. Maybe it's a job. Should I take it or should I not? Should I get married or should I not? Should I date this person? Should I not? Should I eat this or should I not? All of us have decisions. Should I go to this church or should I not go to this church? Let me give you a, a, a principle to live by when it comes to making important decisions in your life. Here's, here's, here's the, the principle, ready? Follow God's peace. Follow God's peace. Let me show it to you from the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. The Corinthian church was experiencing a lot of confusion. They had a whole lot of questions. And here's what Paul writes to them. I love this out of the King James Version. It says, for God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. All churches, that means this is true for Walk Church today here too. God is not the author of confusion. In other words, if you have a decision in your life and one seems really confusing, you can trust that God is not writing that script. 
And yet at the same time, you want to look for the peace. You want to sense, where do I feel God's peace? Sometimes it may not make total sense why you feel peace about a certain situation. Trust that God knows what's better for your life. When it comes to making decisions, say, all right, Lord, direct me by your word, direct me by wise counsel, and Father, direct me by your peace, and I will follow you. It's just an important thing to be reminded of and to live by, for he is our peace, the text says. Not an attitude, not an emotion, but a person. His name is Jesus. Don't we sing that around Christmas time? That he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He gives us peace with himself. Praise the Lord that we, we once had hostility toward God. Actually, we were children of the wrath of God, Ephesians 1, verse 5 and 6. Ephesians 2, verse 5 and 6. We were children of his wrath. That's not peace. But God has brought us near and given us peace with himself. And that's something that we need to hold on to here this morning. Let's continue reading on to verse 15 and allow God to speak to us in this second verse. The text says that he is our peace, that he's torn down the wall of hostility between each other by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So again, friends, making peace. It's what he does. I want us to look at this because this is an important verse of scripture that, again, I haven't given much treatment to, but when I read it, I had to scratch my head a little bit because this could be a controversial verse. Here's why, because some have even brought this verse under the telescope and said, could this be a contradictory to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said it like this, he said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And yet we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, and the first part of it says, by abolishing, he is our peace, and he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. While looking up this verse and really spending some time with it, I realized these are two different things that the authors are referring to. That in this context, Paul is not referring to the Mosaic law that was instituted in the Old Testament, the 613 commands that God used to give to his people, the Jewish people, to set them apart from everybody else, circumcision being one of those, in, in, in establishing this old covenant, Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the old covenant. I've come to fulfill the old covenant in making a new covenant. I've come to... Um, um, live out all of those laws in perfect unity. The Old Testament and the Old Covenant law was an interim uh, grace God gave to his people to demonstrate what it looked like to live set apart. When Jesus came, he fulfilled all of those laws in himself. And what he did was abolish the ceremonial ordinances that caused hostility between Jews and Greeks. 
So what had happened is that the Jewish people had taken the laws that God had given them and began to make their own alongside it. They made own practice, their own practices. They added their own caveats to them. And they began to look down at the Gentiles for not being good enough or being able to live up to what they had established. We even see this in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. And he says, actually it's Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 and 9, and Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. A lot of ordinances and washings and Sabbath days and holidays and all these different things got added into the pot here that you have to do these things in order to be right with God. And it says that Jesus came to abolish those things that the the practices that men had made, Jesus has torn those down and has made us both one in Christ. I want you to know here today that Jesus is not into playing games with religious law and us adding things to the gospel. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything, right? That's something that you got to be reminded of, that we don't add anything to the gospel at all. That's why we always say when people get baptized, that baptism doesn't add to your salvation, right? Baptism may be evidence that you are saved because that's something that a person baptized or a person that believes does, but it's not something that contributes to your salvation. The only thing that contributes to you and my salvation is our sin. That's all we bring. We say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. You take it all and save me. And he does what only he can do. The Colossian church struggled with these types of things as we see in the book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, here's what Paul writes to the Colossian church. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. There was all these different items. And to be honest, when, when Nina and I, we lived in Israel for a year and had an amazing experience. We were part of a, an incredible congregation. But what was unique for us while we were living out there is that we had to abide by all these different holidays and regulations and Sabbath days and food and dietary laws. And it, it was really neat and, and insightful for us But I had to remind myself that these things don't make me right with God. Faith in Jesus does. He himself is our peace. I don't have peace with God because I celebrated the holiday. I don't have peace with God because I ate that and didn't eat that. I have peace with God because my Savior died on the cross, fulfilled the Mosaic law in my place, is perfect, righteous, and holy. He demands righteousness and provides it at the same time in the cross, right? So when we put our faith in Jesus, the great substitution happens, right? I I myself, right, get his righteousness and Jesus takes my sin. A great exchange. And so right now, positionally, God sees me as holy and righteous. I look like a mini Christ because of my faith in him. And Jesus died my death and he died your death. And he died the Gentiles' death. And he died the Jews' death. And and he died the death of every person in the city of Las Vegas and those who are here today joining us and those who may be watching online. If you would repent of your sin and put your faith in him, he will be your peace and secure your destiny for eternity. And that's something that I would encourage each person to do and not to risk and not to leave it up to chance and definitely don't leave it up to your good works. 
Because they definitely won't get the job done. Your good works will burn up with your religious works. Anything apart from Christ can't save us. The Colossians were getting trapped with these new moons, festivals, Sabbath days, food and drink. Paul doesn't say that they're bad things. He just says that they shouldn't be ways that we measure if we're right with God or not. Does that make sense? So here it says that Jesus, verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 2, tells us that he abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. This is important for us to know because historically, I want you to just imagine this. Remember where we came from last week. Gentiles were separated, alienated. They don't even know what the, the laws are. They just know that they don't get to play a part in them. They, they don't even have a clue what the holidays are or the new moons or the Sabbaths or the year of Jubilee, things like that. The Gentiles feel like they've been alienated from all that all this time, so they don't know what to eat or what not to eat. They just know what they do eat is probably looked down upon. And so now what's happening in the Ephesian church is Gentiles are becoming to know Jesus. They're putting their faith in the God who saves, who is a Hebrew savior, right? But who has opened the gospel up to everybody. And so now they're like, what do we do with that? And Jewish believers were even slapping the law on them saying, well, you got to be obedient to all the Old Testament laws too. And the Gentiles are like, whoa, I thought Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 was my testimony. You guys remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? We talked about it a, a few months ago. Let's, let's look back at it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. So I want you to imagine these Ephesian Gentiles, right? They finally have a chance. They've been brought near by the blood of Christ. They say, how much do I got to pay to earn it? You can't pay for it. How much works do I have to do to work for it? You can't work for it. You're saved by grace. Through faith. Not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of your works. It's as a result of his works. And you've been saved by it. And now they're like, yes. And here comes all the Jewish people that says, all right, now, now you got to observe this law. You got to eat this. You got to don't eat that. You can't do that. You can't go over there. You can't talk to this person. You got to make sure you celebrate the holiday at this specific time. If you drop a pencil, you can't pick it up because that's working. And they're like, whoa, why, what happened to all, all these ceremonial laws? I thought my savior fulfilled them for me. That's what Paul is declaring here to the Ephesian church that the Ephesians 2.8 is true for Jews and Gentiles. For we are saved by grace through our faith in Christ alone. Alone. That, on the day that you blow it, friend, on the day that you fail and you mess up, be reminded that you're not saved by your works anyway. <laughs> you're saved by his works and that's grace. And you can receive a shower. You could receive a wave of forgiveness because of the cross of Christ. And I would encourage you, if you're going to major on anything, major on the blood of Jesus and the cross of Christ because it's in that that we have been brought near. Amen? 
Amen. All right, we're going to finish this text up before I get too crazy and excited up here. Let's keep going on to Ephesians 2, verse 15. The second half of the verse says it like this. He abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So, making peace. There was once a, uh, a bus driver who, who tried to do something like this. Uh, the story is the bus driver... Um, was driving his bus and he realized there was two different sides of the bus. Um, It was in Australia. It was the white Australians and the Aborigines and they were at uh, at war with each other and they were saying, I'm better than you because of my skin color. And they said, I'm better than you because of my skin color. And finally the bus driver pulled over and he said, all right, everybody listen up. You guys on this side, if you're on my bus, you're green. And he looked at the other side and he says, and you guys, if you're on my bus, you're green. So now everybody's green. What color are you guys? And they said, we're green. And they said, what color are you guys? And they said, we're green. And he said, all right, good. Let's keep going in peace. And then somebody on the other side said, well, you're a lighter shade of green and we're a darker shade of green. (laughs) And it didn't work. It didn't work. I praise God that Jesus is not like that bus driver. He actually created a new man that works. And the new man is called the Christian or the follower of the way as is shared in the book of Acts. Whatever you want to call yourself, when we were in Israel, they called themselves the believers. Those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But that's this new man that he might create in himself one new man. So he's this is, this is what Jesus did. It essentially took, took the Jewish old covenant and put it in the blender. And he put all the Gentiles and he put it in the blender. And he put himself in the blender and said, this is a new drink right here. This is a new race. This is a new bloodline. This is a new people group. And we know them today as... Christians, Christians, as Herod said in in the book of Acts, are you going to convince me to be a Christian? And Paul said, you said it. You would convince yourself that you need to be saved by Christ himself. Our identity today is in Christ. Don't allow your identity to be in anything else but the blood and perfect life of Jesus himself. This one new man is on display. And this is important for us to understand. This has been an, a, a struggle for all the churches to get. The Colossian church, the Corinthian church, the Ephesus church. That's why in all these letters you'll see Paul take a moment in this letter to the church and he'll stop and he'll say, I got to address something right now. He'll say, don't you know that you're one man? Stop putting social barriers or those are the poor and those are the rich or those are of one class and they're of another class or those are women or those are men and we have all these different all these different classifications these barriers when Jesus didn't come to make barriers right he came to make bridges to himself here's what we, here's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 he says for in one spirit We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves 
or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Corinthian church, cut out all the racism. Cut out all the segregation. We're all made to be one in Christ. Galatian church, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Paul says, Galatians, foolish Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's writing this to Galatians because they were causing divisions in the church as if there was ranking. And Paul is saying, I got to clarify these things for the body of Christ. The Colossian church, he did the same thing. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. He says, here in, in church life, in Christianity, here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised. We talked about that last week. That's a big deal. Barbarian. What do you think of when you hear barbarian? Arr. It's like they're at church and the, the barbarians walk in and they're like, oh, whoa. You ain't allowed up in this church, bruh. Or the Scythians. The Scythians can't worship in this house. Or the slaves Slaves aren't allowed to worship in this house. What Paul's saying, he's saying, Christians were actually doing these things. Christians were doing these things. They had forgotten about the second commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Christians in churches were saying, we love Jesus. And there were actual slaves and barbarians and free people that thought they were better and I'm part of the uncircumcision and I'm part of the circumcision and I come from a Greek background. Check out my status. And Paul's saying, you guys all sound dumb because Christ is all and in all. And if you really had the right eyes, that's all you'd see. You would see Christ in us, living his life through us, and it's his blood that brings us together for he himself is our peace. That's why you can say shalom to the Jew and shalom to the Greek and shalom to the person from Vegas. I said shalom to my brother from Dallas who's here this morning, right? And, 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 and with that, you can do all that because he is our peace. He's brought in peace in between one another that he might create in himself Ephesians 2 verse 15 before we close that he might create in him, himself one new man the world should look at the church and see a new man should see a new body isn't that what we're referred to isn't the church referred to the body of Christ a new body not Jew not Greek not barbarian not Scythian, not slave not free not circumcised not uncircumcised but a new body that's full of all types of colors. It, th this text is not saying that, hey, God doesn't see skin color, because God does, because God made skin color beautiful. That's not what this is saying. And this is not saying that we shouldn't see skin color either, or we shouldn't see ethnicity either, or we shouldn't see culture. We should see those things, but they should be things we appreciate and not things that separate, amen? That we should see differences in our church and say, man, I appreciate how God made you. He created you in his image. And you look different than me. And you talk different than me. But what's crazy is we're one in Christ. That's the beauty of what we believe in Christ alone. We see a picture of this. Jesus gave us a little snapshot before he even died and rose from the grave. 
I, I love this picture as Jesus called the disciples. Have you ever thought about why Jesus called the disciples that he called to follow him? Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. And he, Jesus, called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Now, we've talked a lot about Peter in our church life, and he had always the wrong thing to say often, right? Sometimes he got it right, but it's, you know, his percentage is less than 500. Most times he says the wrong thing. Um, but Peter's there. He's a terrible fisherman. The only time he ever catches a fish is when Jesus shows up, right? And, and, and then we have Andrew, his brother. So we got Peter. We got his brother, Andrew. We got James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother, also known as the sons of thunder, because they're all always fired up there to say, Jesus, can you just call fire down from heaven and blow it up right now? He's like, slow down, man, relax. Gee whiz, the sons of thunder. Then Philip and Bartholomew, brother Bart, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. Now, we know about Thomas. He had his own doubting issues, but we believe he was a man of God. We got Matthew, the tax collector, Think about this team. Matthew was a tax collector. He was, he was the worst of the worst, right? So this is a Jewish man who is stealing money from Jewish people and selling it back to them for more money. He's, a steal, he's, he's outcast because he's sinful. He embraces this sinful mentality. He, he totally is at war with the zealots because the zealots in Israel were at war with the tax collectors. And Jesus says, all right, Matthew, I'm going to call you to follow me. And Matthew's like, you know, this sounds better than what I'm doing. Let me follow Jesus. The next person that Jesus calls is James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and then Simon the Zealot. So I'm just picturing this motley crew gang. Then Judas the Iscariot, who's betraying everybody. And Jesus is walking with this team, right? Could you imagine Matthew the tax collector and Simon the Zealot, like just staring at each other the whole time? Like, I dare you to make a move, bro. I dare you to do something. Like, Simon the Zealot hates the fact that Matthew got picked to be on the team. And Matthew hates the fact that Simon the Zealot is on the team. And yet, Peter's this fisherman who brought his brother. We don't know much about Thaddeus and Bartholomew, but they were just along for the ride too, amen, right? Like, why didn't Jesus go up in the synagogue and say, I want the 12 best rabbis in all the land? To follow me. Who does he pick? He picks the church. This is a picture of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15. I'm tearing down the walls of hostility. I'm breaking the social, cultural, segregated barriers, and I'm showing you what this thing really could look like if we believe it. John Stott says that Jesus abolishes both the regulations of the ceremonial law and the condemnation of the moral law. Both were divisive, and both were put aside by the cross. I'm encouraged by that reminder here today. I'm gonna close with a quote from a guy by the name of J. Vernon McGee, who writes a commentary on the book of Ephesians. I thought this was just profound as we close out today. Just hear these words, friends. He says, today, there should never be a point of separation for believers on any 
basis at all. Did you guys hear that? Can we amen that? He continues, he says, we have been made one in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, it makes no difference who you are. You and I are going to be together throughout eternity. It wouldn't be a bad idea for us to speak to each other every now and then down here, would it? I like that right there. We're one. Doesn't mean that you got to be best friends with everybody. But I think what it does mean is that you need to have Christ in you, the hope of glory who loves your neighbor and cause you to love them too, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your background, regardless of what you've been brainwashed to think, allow the Bible to change your thinking, for we have been made into a new man. And that should affect how we live, shouldn't it? That should affect how we treat our coworkers, that should affect how we treat our family members, that should affect how we treat our friends, that should affect how we treat our fellow students and coworkers, how we treat the waitress and waiter, how we treat the people at the car wash, how we treat people that are on the street, people that don't look like you, friend. It should affect all of us, friend. We are one. He is our peace, amen? He himself, Jesus, he is our peace. Let's pray.